You're listening to audio recorded at Mount Air First Christian Church. For more resources or to contact us, look us up at www.mountairfirstchristianchurch.org. This is Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. The grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our God stands forever. This morning we're going to see Paul's understanding of how, in this, in this text, his understanding of how the walk of the Christian is to work. We see this term right there at the start of verse 6. He says, therefore, that's a very important term in your Bible. Whenever you see therefore, you have to kind of ask, where, where's the for, the therefore is therefore? What's it there for? And he's, he's, say, he's saying, all that I've said up to this point, because of all that I said, therefore, he's saying, as you have received, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. And we begin in these two passages to really see the way that he frames the Christian walk. He's saying, because, because of all that I've said so far, in light of that, now this. And there are, there are three relationships that this text puts out in front of us. There are three relationships. The first is that as they received Jesus... They now are to walk in him. So there's a receiving of Jesus that then is supposed to produce a walking in Jesus. It isn't just a receiving and then, oh, that's, that's, that's good and fine, we're done. As you receive him, you are to walk in him. And then there is a, as you are rooted, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up. That when it comes to Christ, you are to dig roots deep, rooted, grounded, having a solid foundation in Jesus, but also being built up. So there is receiving and walking. There is rooted and there is growing. And then there is this, as they were taught, they should be established. Just as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So those three things we want to get to, but I got stuck earlier than that this, this week looking at this text. I got hung up earlier on this important term. He says, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord. Now he says that differently than you'll often hear in your Bible. You'll hear the Lord Jesus Christ, or, you know, Christ, the, you know, you'll, you'll hear this phrase of, of the Lord Jesus Christ, and it's a, it's a title, but Paul here specifically, there's, from what I read, there's no other place that Paul speaks of Christ and using this term, curious Lord, in this construction. He's making something specific and saying, just as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord. There, there's something unique about what he's emphasizing in saying that there is this receiving of Christ Jesus as the Lord. Well, what is meant by that? Is that really a big deal? 
that we receive Jesus Christ, the Lord. And I want to say this morning that receiving Christ Jesus, the Lord, recognizing him as Lord and receiving him is indeed a very, very big deal. You know, we understand this concept of, of lordship in a thousand different ways. I mean, there are, there are, there are thousands of, of little issues of your life that have like lordship power over you. I mean, you think about all the obligations, all the responsibilities that you have, and that, that term, they, they give command to your life. That term lordship is, is kind of command, but there are certain things in your life that have command of you. Um, if your doctor prescribes you medicine you, and you have to take it and they're saying you take this every day or three times a day, pretty soon your life begins to take, it has a kind of lordship because everything you do is going to be thinking about, well, I can't travel all day to this place without my medicine because I'll need to take it two more times. And so it has command that you always take your medicine with you. There's, there's some command that it has upon you. Drinking water has a, a lordship quality to you because you, you, you realize and you think about, I'm, I'm always going to want to have the ability to drink some water. I need to stay hydrated. I'm not going to go to the Sahara. I'm not going to go sit out in the desert and not have a way to be able to get water. It has some sort of lordship over you. You, you think about, you know, how am I going to make sure these things that I need that they have command over all these areas of your life. Your job has very much a lordship quality to it. You don't really decide to do much of anything if you're gainfully employed. You don't think about what I can do unless you think, like, my job allows it. Because every little thing, it has lordship, lord-like qualities about it. Children, I'm not calling them lords, but they have responsibilities that, that we all have that, that you have to think about. They have a command of your life that everything you do begins to kind of be adjusted, considered in light of these things that have, have command of your life. There are these realities that no matter what you do, you have to consider them in everything, right? Am I making sense there? There are, there are things in your life that, that every little thing you do, they begin to have uh, influence and give shape to every little thing that you do. Well, this term for Lord, it's, it's Yahweh in the Hebrew, Kyrios in, in the Greek. Um, it is used, the ESV translate that as Lord, 7,776 times. If you go home and get your computer out, I don't recommend counting it yourself but maybe it has to be a fun Sunday afternoon. <laughs> Go get your computer out and, and do your Bible concordance search for Lord. And there's 7,776 in the ESV translation times that it is mentioned. So I told you to keep your Bibles out. Let's, we're gonna, let's look at them. 7,776. That's, no, we're not, we're not going to do that. We're not going to look at quite all of those because there are, the, the Bible is literally filled with this uh, title of Lord. It's, but it, it, we're not going to look at all 7,000 of them, but this is a very important title in Scripture. It's defined this way, one who exercises supernatural authority over mankind, Lord, ruler, one who commands. This person, this individual who exercises supernatural authority over mankind. There's this understanding of the lordship of God as his incredible rule and command over all. 
He is the commander. He's the one that makes the commandments. He is the one who commands all things. So I told you to keep your Bibles out. We will look at Exodus chapter um, 3 this morning. So turn with me to Exodus chapter 3, page 54, way back in the early, 55, in the beginning part of your Bible, Genesis, Exodus, the second book here. And look at this revealing, God's revealing of himself to Moses in Exodus chapter 3. This is the story of the burning bush. You know, he's, he's out there wandering around. He, is, he has fleed from Egypt. He's gone to Midian. He's keeping sheep. And then there's this bush that is burning yet not consumed. And he goes, he walks up to it and God introduces himself to God, tells him that he has this mission for him to go back and fr- fr- free Free, not flee, free his people from Pharaoh out of Egypt. And Moses, verse 13 of chapter 3, Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? Verse 14, God said to Moses, There's three titles that, that God uses to say who he is. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob has appeared to me saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt. There's these three revealings. He says, say, I am who I am. It's kind of the longer form. And then he just says, shortened, I am has sent me to you. I am who I am. I am to be is kind of similar to the, he just the God who is. He's saying, I'm the God who is. I I am. I always have been. I currently am. And I always will be. I am the God who, who is. But he also has this definition of he is the Lord. He is the one who commands. This is his self definition. He is the God who is the ruler and commander of all, and he's going to put it on display against Pharaoh. You can read on in the book of Exodus and see all the ways that God puts on full display. He is the Lord. He commands all things. All the plagues that come in are a result of the lordship of God. He will put it on display. Let's look at one other place together, and this is in the book of Isaiah, chapter 43. We're skipping over a lot of Lord uh, usage, but we're going to look at Isaiah 43, verses 11 and 12. This is, again, God's self-declaration about himself. Isaiah 43, verses 11 and 12. He says, I, this is page 717 in your pew Bible, Isaiah 43, 11, I, I am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. I declared and saved and proclaimed when there was no strange God among you. You are my, and you are my witnesses, declare the Lord, and I am God. Also henceforth I am he. There is none who can deliver from my hand. I work 
and who can turn it back? God is saying, he is the Lord. He is, when someone is called Lord, this meaning of this passage, if, if they are truly to be called Lord, they are the one who commands all things. They perform their works and no one can turn them back. I do what I want. I command all things. And when I do it, who undoes it? No one. I am the Lord. If someone is truly Lord, they rule over everything at all times and in all places. There is no area of the world, of the universe, that is out from underneath the command of someone who has the title Lord. It's what's meant by the term. They are the commander. They are the sovereign, the ruler over all things. So now jump with me to the New Testament and we're going to see this application in the Old Testament to Yahweh now becomes applied to Jesus. He becomes, in the Gospels, we can look at tons of places in the Gospel where they call Jesus Lord and he's referred to the Lord. But let's go refer to as the Lord. But let's look at Acts chapter 2. This is the first Christian sermon. Acts chapter 2. I mean, it could be argued. Yeah, but I, I'll, I'll, I'll say that. First, first Christian sermon after, after Christ's uh, death, burial, and resurrection, the sermon from Peter as the, the New Testament church as it is known is founded. This is Peter's sermon. And he says in, in Acts chapter 2, this is page 1082 in your pew Bible. Speaking of Jesus, he says, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him, speaking of Jesus, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. There we see this clear description from this this. Uh, from Peter, this main uh, apostle, this main disciple of Jesus, in his sermon to the crowd about the reality of Jesus, he's confessing Jesus as the Lord. Not just some really wise man, not just someone who's full of care and compassion, but Lord. God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And in fact, all of history is heading towards this one place, Philippians chapter 2. If you're, not done, if you're not tired of flipping yet, you could go back to page 1165, Philippians chapter 2, verse 9, speaking about at the end of all time, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The culmination of history will be this final scene where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess in heaven and on earth and under the earth. There's no realm of existence that, it, that is that will not include the crowd of people who will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is so central to the identity of Christ that he is Lord that a very familiar passage when it comes to sharing the gospel with other people is one of the verses we try to memorize at, at CYF and one I'd encourage, it is one of our fighter verses I'd encourage you to memorize is in Romans chapter 10. 
Romans chapter 10, verse 9. You might know it. it says that, that if we confess with our mouths Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you confess with your mouth what? Jesus is Lord. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Because, not that, my, I memorize it with that. The ESV says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The confession of Jesus as Lord is foundational to the understanding and to the salvation that Jesus provides. So, the, the Lordship of Christ is this a part of your regular understanding of Jesus, that he is Lord. He is the commander. He is the one who rules over all things. And I bring up this to, to make the point that when it comes to our embracing of Jesus, I might have a screen for that. Hey, look. When it comes to our embracing of Jesus, it is embracing him as he truly is, the Lord of all. Christ is supreme. That's the title of our little series here. Christ is supreme. And any embrace of Christ as something less than the Lord over all things is an embracing of a counterfeit Jesus. To embrace Jesus as Lord of some things, but not Lord of all things, is to embrace a false Christ. But it's very, it's very tempting to, to not stress that reality. It's very tempting to not stress that reality. When we speak of receiving Christ, often we put it in terms of receiving Christ as Savior, right? That's not a bad thing to receive Christ as Savior. It's not a bad thing to receive Christ as Savior. You should receive Christ as Savior. But New Testament language specifically talks about receiving Him as Lord. It's well and good to say you must receive him as Savior unless what we mean by that is something less than receiving him as Lord and Savior. There, and I, I stress this because there is this way of conceiving of Jesus as someone who is, we are, we are quite glad to let him save us from sin, to let him save us from the bad things we kind of know we've done, you know, some of the obvious blunders of our life. You know, thank you, God, for saving me from my mistakes. We're very eager to let God save us from all these things we don't like about our lives, but we do not like to receive him as the authority over every area of our lives. Dick Lucas, in his commentary, says, True conversion must imply a recognition of Christ's right to be my Savior. Parenthetically, after all, most of us do not very much want to be saved from all our sins, only from their penalty. It's kind of funny the way he says it, but he's talking about most of us want very much to be saved just from the penalty of our sin, but not actually saved from our sin. There, there are many things we'd like to be saved from as far as, as, far as penalty for what we have done or wrongdoing, but, but not really wanting to be saved from actual sin. Areas of our lives that Christ has said, 
do not do or do this or whatever area that he has command over, we're very eager that Jesus would save us from these things that we know are problems, but we're very hesitant to be saved from these, these areas, saved from our actual sins. We live in a time and in a particular culture where people are eager to pick up the name of Christ and claim him as Savior so long as ultimately they are still able to be the Lord of their own lives. Claiming Jesus as Savior, I'm down with Jesus. Jesus is my homeboy. I like Jesus. Yeah, I believe in Jesus. So long as that doesn't mean Jesus has the rule over every area of my life. God's lordship confronts that. His, his, the very idea, we, we confronts that. We want to be saved from any negative penalty for our action, but we don't really want to be saved from the performance of any negative action. Save me from the penalty of it, but I still kind of want to go ahead and be who I want to be and do what I want to do. And I'll be glad to have you save me out of the penalty of that, but I don't really want to be told and, and, and saved from the actual doing of the thing I actually kind of enjoy doing. Jesus may save us from the consequence of our sins so long as he isn't the one defining really what our sin is. <laughs> save me from the things I don't really like, but by no means does he get to really tell me what is sin, what is right, what is wrong. John Frame, in his systematic theology, he kind of frames his whole systematic theology, if you want to pick up a good systematic theology, John Frames actually is on audio, is an audiobook. You can listen to like for 30 or 40 hours to a systematic theology. I commend it to you. But he says this about, he, he's, his whole grid work is on the lordship of God. But he's, his quote from earlier in his systematic theology says this, the main problem is that we live in a world obsessed by autonomy. As with Adam and Eve in the garden, people today do not want to bow the knee to someone other than themselves. Is that true or not? As with Adam and Eve in the garden, people today do not want to bow the knee to someone other than themselves. God's lordship confronts and opposes autonomy from the outset. It demands our recognition that all things belong to him and are subject to his control and authority. That demand is unacceptable to people who are outside of Christ and to some extent, even believers chafe when the demand is clearly made. This recognition that all things belong to him are subject to his control and authority. He's saying from those outside of Christ, it's absolutely repulsive, this idea that, that God would tell me who I should be and what I should do. And they, they repulse at that idea, but making also the observation, to some extent, even believers chafe when we have to be confronted with the issue, with the reality that Jesus is Lord. What I mean is this. Let me try to be clear as I can be. There are many today who claim the name of Christ, but keep most, if not all, authority over their lives to themselves. They claim Jesus as Savior, but reject him as Lord. And to do that is to not really know him. Many allow Jesus to be Savior so long as they can continue in those actions that, that we think are necessary for our lives and for our own happiness. Even those who do not know him as Lord, even those who do know him as Lord, we still wrestle with this indwelling sin, this reality, this rebellion. 
against the lordship of Christ. This is clear in um, the move for sexual liberty within the Christian community. Now, I'm, I'm bound because this is where our culture is at to be honest on certain things. These are not my favorite issues, but when you have to, we got to speak clearly. So there's, there's this clear move for sexual liberty within the Christian community. Not only are homosexuality and transgenderism promoted as valid expressions of human sexuality, also the idea of cohabitation outside of marriage, promiscuity, no-fault, divorce, and many other sinful stances are eagerly taken up, saying, Jesus, I'll be great to, it'd be great to have you save me. But when it comes to these issues, I kind of get the say on what's right and what's wrong. That is not having Christ as Lord. If, if Jesus has commanded that from the beginning, he says, man leaves father and mother and joins his wife, the two become one flesh, and what God has joined together, let no man take apart. If we disregard that, is he really Lord? We're glad to have him be Savior, but is he really Lord? And since we're on difficult issues, uncomfortable issues, what about things like abortion today? the taking of a human life in the womb. If Jesus has commanded, thou shalt not murder, and yet we take the lives of unborn children, can we really say, Jesus is Lord? We might be glad to say, Jesus is Savior, but please don't tell me all the things that I want to do. I want to kind of have my own way. We may want to be saved from the penalties of our actions, but we are not so eager to have him command our actions. Now, now that the heat is out of the way, there's a sense in which some of us are still in child, not, I'm personally not in childbearing years because I'm a man, but <laughs> if you didn't notice that. Uh, some of us might be still in, in the childbearing stage, but, but many are not. And so, okay, I've got that, that and I, I've got that, that issue. I'm okay on that issue. And then when it comes to human sexuality, you know, I've kind of got maybe some of that nailed down. You know, I'm doing, so I guess we're all okay. Let's go home. Right? I mean, the two issues, Darren. So Darren brought up, I'm doing all right on, I guess I'll go home. Jesus must be Lord. Those are not the only two issues. I, I only mention them because I've got to try to be clear. I've got to try to be clear about the issues that are going on in our world today. But now that that heat is out of the way, I don't know that we get to pat ourselves on the back as though because we don't struggle with a few of these things that now Jesus is Lord. Those are the billboard issues but does that leave us in the clear? And I'd say by no means does it leave us in the clear. None of us is perfectly under the lordship of Christ. One day, when we are glorified, we will be perfectly under the lordship of Christ, but that is not today. What about materialism in our world today? My generation is obsessed with stuff, is obsessed with things, is obsessed with gathering toys, is obsessed with and consumed with every dollar is my dollar. And who, who, why should Jesus have any say over how I spend my dollars? Shouldn't, right? That's, what we, that's the way that we live. Is Jesus Lord over every dollar in your bank account? And yes, I would say materialism, the love of the stuff of this world, is just as deadly and poisonous as any other area that you would reject Jesus as Lord. It's a serious thing. Is he Lord, really Lord, or is it just, you know, 
Jesus can save me from the things I don't like. But when it comes to these issues, like how I spend my money, ah, that's a little, that's a little uh, beyond his realm. What about just Lord over your free time? Lord over your free time. Lord over your entertainment. We can talk about uh, homosexuality and transgenderism, these big hot button issues, but how much of our media today is consumed with all sorts of things that are inappropriate? And we think, well, this is, and it's okay to, to view this, to read this, to have this going on in our lives. But if Jesus is Lord, he gets a say over every issue. He gets a say over every issue. Your free time, your retirement does not become your own. I've got a retired crowd that have many that are in age of retirement. Does that, if Jesus is Lord, he gets a say over what you do with your time. If he is Lord, he gets a say over what every one of us gets to do with our time. With our friendships, he has the authority. Do you recognize Jesus as the Lord who has authority to command obedience in all these areas in your life? And this is important to answer. Do you recognize him as the Lord having the authority to command obedience in every area? Because if we do not think he has the authority to command our submission, then he isn't the Lord. And therefore, if he's not the Lord, he doesn't really even have the authority to save. If he's something less than Lord, he really can't even save. Dick Lucas again says this, says, Jesus can be our Savior only because he is Lord. He must have unquestioned authority over the powers of evil, and I'd say over the power of everything, before he can possibly deliver us from, from them. The lordship of Jesus is crushing. It is huge. It is involved in every area of your life. What you do with your afternoon is under the lordship of Jesus Christ today. The way that you leave and go to lunch, he is the Lord of all of it. The conversations that you have, the time that you spend today, the way that you're going to spend this week, the job you pursue, what you do with the money that you make from it, every friendship that you're engaged with, he is Lord over all. And that, com that command is huge and crushing. But it is also the reality that makes Christ able to save we must receive Christ in this way as the supreme Christ. He has the right to say over my life. We must receive Christ in this way as the supreme Christ, the Lord over all, if we are to receive the true Christ. But this is the good news. As crushing as that is, knowing that he is Lord and commander of our lives, it reveals our sinfulness, it reveals our rebellion, but it also means he has the power to do exactly what, he's, what he has done. He has the power. If he's Lord over all, he has the power to do what he has done, to rescue sinners from the penalty of their sin. Romans 10, 9 that we read, right? If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. He has command over everything. If you confess Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart, God raised them from the dead in victory over sin and death, then you will be saved. This Lord who is, has authority over your life becomes the Lord who is for you, working for your good. His commands are not burdensome, but bring life itself. 
What incredible good news that is. Jesus as Savior because he is Lord. Do we know him as Lord? Do our lives, are they lived? And as we head into a time of reflection, we don't have communion again this morning because we don't have the elements, but we're going to take a few minutes of reflection and to think about, because every one of us is guilty in some degree to another, asking the Holy Spirit to illuminate in our lives where are the areas where we still are trying to hold back. Jesus, you can save me from all these things, but this is an area where, where I really want to be me. I want to do my thing. I want to pursue my happiness. Where are those areas as we head into a time of communion, of repentance, and then of, of rejoicing? What Christ has done because he's the Lord of all is he has come to save sinners out from underneath the punishment that they are deserved because of their rebellion. Let's pray. Father, help us this morning. And I pray for a conviction in my own heart, the hearts of those who are listening this morning. We do not want to trust in a false Christ, one who does some good for us, but is not the, the Lord of all, who takes broken lives and, and makes them whole. <laughs> Father, convict us of the areas where we still are holding on to our own autonomous lordship, our own rule over areas of our lives that we might repent. And Father, rejoice that we do have a Savior. We have a Savior who is Lord of all, who came to the earth living the righteous life we should have lived with you. He, he loved you and lived with you as Lord of all. He did it. He fulfilled all righteousness and died a sinner's death, the punishment we deserve for our rebellion and rejection, he took upon himself. So that every one of us in this room this morning, everyone listening right now, could turn from sin, could turn from their own pursuit of their own lordship and look to Christ and through faith, trusting in him, be saved. Do that work in our hearts, God, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.